0: last week we looked at Peter and this week we're going to be looking at uh, uh, well Abraham and Sarah and remember that Abraham is called the father of our faith and he is referred to in the Bible as a friend of God and but uh, you know but his beginning wasn't really all that good Abraham's father was a craftsman. And that's usually a noble thing, but his craft was making idols. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, that's what he did for a living. He made island idols. In his family, there was one god called the moon god. I don't remember what their name was in the Mesopotamian language, but they worshiped the moon god and uh the haran in uh let's see i'm trying to remember i can't remember where haran was but uh anyway that was the capital of this particular type of uh of god worship idol worship and uh before abraham set out on his trip into the promised land He wound up going with his father to the city of Haran. This city was so important to uh, Abraham's father, uh, Terah, that his son, one of his sons was named Haran. Lot's daddy was named after the city where those idols were made. And so they were big into this idol worship stuff. So one of the things that comes from this, when we see that Terah, Abram, Nahor, his brother, and uh, all the rest of the family, they served other gods. And one of the first messages that you see is even if you didn't come from a good background, even if you didn't come from the best of families, even if you didn't come from a Christian family or Christian background, You can be a hero just like uh, they were in the Bible. Uh, You can be used by God. Abraham didn't come from a God-fearing background, so that's no excuse. In fact, sometimes that's a blessing because you come into it with fresh eyes, not fettered with uh, uh, a lot of stuff that you've been told that you have to get rid of to really believe and understand the Bible. So uh, there's anyway. Uh, so what I want to do is just go through a few of the events in Abraham and Sarah's life. And then I'm going to make three really quick points at the end. So whenever you see that I'm dragging along before I get to the points, the three quick points are going to take. But that's they're about a sentence each. So don't be worried about that. So we're going to have about 18 no not not 18 we're going to have several events here. Here's the first event. In Genesis 12:1, we see that Abraham believes. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, "Get out of your country, from your family and your father's house to a land that I will show you." In other words, get away from idolatry because I have something different for you. I have a different way of life for you. And then he, he tells him, I will bless those who bless you and make you a father and uh, uh, of, of many nations. And so he gives him this promise. And Abraham believes. So that's number one. Abraham believes. And so that's. Divine when you believe. Remember, we talk about divine and human. So we got divine. Now then, next event. Abraham doubts Genesis ten. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, "Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen." He said, "It's, it's going to happen, Sarah." It's Sarai. It's going to happen. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, "This is his wife," and they will kill me. But they will let you live. So please say that you are my sister. And now, in that, I want you to hear the way that he worded this. This is so manipulative and so cheesy at the same time. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Well, I like the way he phrased this. That it, so please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. I need you to lie for me so that I can stay alive. And uh, you may even wind up having to sleep with another man. But uh, it's going to be OK because, you see, the only reason I want to keep on living is because of you, Sarai. It'll be well with you if I stay alive. So lie and sleep with another man. And uh, now I'm not getting on to Sarai here. I'm getting on to Abraham because he was still willing to let his wife sleep with another man to save himself. And so he doubted and he was afraid. And uh, those two things, doubt and fear, they aren't sins, but they are human. But then he lied. That's a sin. Now then, here's the next event. Abraham believes again. So you got divine, human. Here comes divine again. After Abraham and Lot split up, Abraham goes to Salem, uh, and, uh, it be- and Salem becomes a city named, guess what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, Salem means peace. Jeru Many people have translated incorrectly as city of, but what it actually means is foundation of. So Jerusalem is the foundation of peace. Salem means peace. So Jerusalem means foundation of peace. And then uh, so Jerusalem is the foundation of peace for the whole world we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem because it's the foundation for the peace of the whole world. So when he comes to Salem, he meets the king of Salem, who is a person that Hebrews tell us, listen to this, is without genealogy and does not have beginning of days or end of life. And then it goes on and says, So he was. So he's the king of of peace. Uh, I don't know if I will see. Yeah, he's the king of peace. Say he's the king of Salem. So he's the king of peace and he's the king of righteousness. And uh, in fact, the name Melchizedek, that's what it means. Uh, and uh, he doesn't have a genealogy. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. So who does that sound like? Anybody you've ever heard of? So uh, this could have been an actual, well, his name, let's see. It's a, it's a guy's name, Melchizedek, which actually translates the king of righteousness. So this could have been an actual man. It could have been Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. But his name is Melchizedek, the King of Righteousness. And I want you to notice in Hebrews 7, it goes on to say that uh, when we tithe to Jesus, when we tithe, our tithe is going to Jesus. And it refers to Melchizedek, who is a priest forever, it says in Hebrews. And Jesus is the only priest forever that we know of. And so, guess what, now okay. Whether he is Jesus per se or not, theologians argue about. But I want you to notice that. Because look what happens next. Melchizedek brings out bread and wine. Now, he is, uh, said to be, uh, the, uh, also the priest of the God most high. Now it says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham gave him Melchizedek a tithe of all. So here's where I say where I say he believed again. Because if you're going to give 10% of all that you have, you're a believer. People are stingy. Let's face it. And they're also scared. And uh, they also will say, "You, oh, God understands. I need to take care of my family. And so we hold back from God. And it's not that if you don't take care of your family, it says you're like an infidel. So you are supposed to take care of your family. But the tithe is just enough to where it hurts a little bit, and uh, but you can't outgive God. Also, uh, it's anyway. I, I don't anyway. I just want to say, it's a matter. You know, worship means worthship. It's a way that we say you are worth it, and this is one of the most tangible ways that you tell God you are worthy. You are worth it to me. And so, and I must say, when Cher and I finally started tithing, it's incredible how the windows of heaven were open to us. It's incredible. I won't go into all the details about that. But uh, uh, you're not going to be given 10% of your income unless you're a believer. And because you don't give 10% of your income to anything you don't believe in. And uh, by the way, this is 500 years before tithing was a part of the law. And Hebrews says, our spiritual father, Abraham, gave to Melchizedek, the king of righteousness and the king of peace, a tenth of everything he had. That's that's interesting to me. And all right. Then Genesis 15 tells us for sure. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. So we know he believed. Okay, so he believed. So here we are divine again. Next event, Abraham and Sarah doubt. Divine, human, divine, human. Genesis 16, 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children and had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And this is one of those things where sometimes you can even know what God wants you to do, what he has in store for you. And you get impatient. And uh, <clears throat> you start figuring that he wants you to help him out. And so that's kind of what was going on here. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. You see here, they both doubted. And here's why. She lets her husband sleep with another woman. And Abraham, before this, was willing to let another uh, man sleep with his wife. And yet God had given them a promise. They were going to have a child. Now, I'm not putting them down. I'm just showing you that they're humans so that you'll know that when you mess up, that God can still use you. And also, look at the age. It doesn't matter. God can still use you no matter. There's nobody here that's 99 yet, I don't think. And, uh, you know, God started getting in touch with Abraham and tapping him on the shoulder when he was 75. And it was at age 99 that he wound up having his uh, having Isaac and uh, things really got going. So you still got time, no matter how many years you have under your belt. God's not through with you yet. That may be a disappointment to some of you. Some of you may have retired already from the kingdom of God. You never retire from the kingdom of God. Just want you to be aware of that. So Abraham doubted. Abraham and Sarah, Abraham believed again. Abraham and Sarah doubt. Next one. Abraham believes again. Genesis 17:1. When Abram was, here it is folks, 99 years old. First time he was 75. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am God Almighty. Sometimes we need to remember that Almighty part. Well, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Listen to this carefully. Every male child among you shall be circumcised And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant. Okay, so it's a sign. It's a sign of the covenant between you and me, between me and you. In verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Okay. Okay. Now, this is why I say that this is a matter of belief, really believing God. A moment ago, I said, uh, if you tithe, you're a believer. If you get circumcised when you're 99 years old, you're a believer. Uh, Just think about this conversation, okay? God says, I'm going to give you a sign of our covenant. And this is the sign. Every male child will be circumcised, and I want you to be circumcised too. Now, it's not in Scripture, but I just wonder if Abraham said, wait a minute, can we talk about this just a minute? You want me to do what to my what? And uh then I think that uh when he went and told Sarah, Sarah very well could have said, he wants you to do what to your what? Are you sure you heard that right? I asked him three times, honey. (laughs) Believe me, I I checked on this. And then he said, the Lord said, this will be a sign of our covenant. I wonder if whenever God said that, Noah wasn't, I mean, uh, Abraham wasn't thinking of Noah got a rainbow, you know, but uh, so anyway, are flowers or all sorts. Okay. Anyway, here's the next event. Sarah doubts again and lies in Genesis eighteen ten, And he that's the Lord appeared to him. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Now, Sarah was outside eavesdropping, and, uh, and and it goes on. It says, now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in the age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Notice it doesn't say she laughed out loud. It says that uh, she laughed within herself quietly in her own mind, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? You see, he even knows our thoughts. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you remember at the appointed time it's going to come up again according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son now listen to this but Sarah denied it saying I did not laugh for she was afraid and that's human and he said no but you did laugh this is God just having a back and forth with Sarah here And so she not only doubted, she lied. And I'm just telling you, they were humans. And yet this is the father and mother of our faith and of Israel. Here's the next event. Uh, Abraham negotiates. And uh, anyway, just I don't know if you ever really looked at this from the standpoint of God. And uh, I mean, here's almighty God. And listen to how Sarah, I mean, how uh, Abraham approaches. I'm talking about the time whenever uh, God shares with him the fact that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, I'm going to destroy, destroy them. Their wickedness is great. And then he lists the sins of Sodom and Ezekiel and in, and in Jude. And so he says, I'm going to destroy them. And I want you to see this happen. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within that city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare uh, spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Uh, for it be far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. That's within, with, uh, with, the, with the wicked. So, uh, so that the uh, righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, there's some manipulation going on here. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. God's told him what he's going to do. And Abraham's telling him why he shouldn't do it. Okay, and uh, there's a, a reason for this. Remember, Lot lives there, and Lot's his uh, his nephew. He's got a good reason, but it's the way that he did it. And uh, just watch this. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Okay, that's good. But then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now, who am I but dust and ashes to have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord? Suppose there were uh, five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? And so he said, if I find forty five. See, God's good at math. Okay, Uh, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and, and, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And so he said, indeed, I had now have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I'll speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of of 10. All right. Now, here's what I think happened. I think that Jesus walked away after that conversation and said to the Father and the Holy Spirit, did y'all hear that? That's the coolest conversation I've ever had with a human being right there. Would the Lord of all do something like this, the judge of the whole earth, Far be it from you, Lord, to do something as bad as this. And you know, I'm just dust and ashes, but I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I think Jesus, uh, actually said something like, I really like this guy. And you know, uh, you know what I think he liked about him? He liked him. It's not his righteousness. The righteousness that found that was found in Abraham was imputed from Jesus. And so it's not that he just liked his own righteousness. He liked Abraham. He liked having a conversation with Abraham. He liked the back and forth and the banter. He liked the I did not lie. Oh no, but you did lie. He liked that. He was having fun talking with them. And so uh he likes to have friends that can he that can talk and be with him and uh really bear their hearts. And so it was his personality that he liked. And this is one of the things I want to get across to you. So many people spend their whole lives trying to be somebody they're not because they've been told by the world that you're not acceptable the way you are. But when, And they take that before God and they say, I know I'm not acceptable, but I hope that you'll take me anyway. And I never will forget the night when the Lord just came into my room and I was in the presence of just pure unadulterated love. And he made it clear that he loved and really liked the real me, not the person I was striving to be, not the person I was trying to prove to the world that I was, that I was not. I said I was a self-made man but I was being shaped by people and opinions and society all around me. But whenever I was before my creator, creator, he made it clear that it was the real Joel behind all those masks. And it's the same with you. It's the real Bob, the real Suzanne the real Ms. Brubaker and all the rest of you, the real Kim, the real Becky, not who you pretend to be, but that person that you are when nobody else is around, that person that maybe has been struggling with who you are. It says in the Bible, you are are acceptable in the beloved. And so I want to encourage you, He created you to be just like you are. Quirks and all, weird sense of humor and all. Every bit of it, he loves and he made you like that. And you're the person that he really wants to be friends with. And he wants to be your friends. He got to the point with his disciples where he said, You're no longer servants. Now I want to call you friends. That's so important. So I'm just telling you, it's okay that you're human. God created humans with you in mind. God doesn't get upset at your humanity. God already knew that uh, uh, Abraham was going to do this. He loved Abraham. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that Abraham was his friend. In James 2.23, it says, And he was called the friend of God. And James, again, is quoting the Old Testament. In Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people of Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham? Now listen to this. Your friend forever. It's just a few years ago I started running across that BFF. Best friend forever. Seems to be pretty popular now. How would you like for your BFF to be God Almighty? Well, that's what he is. That's what he wants to be. He wants to be your BFF. BFF. This is what he said, your friend forever. So how did Abraham become his friend? By trusting him, by trusting him and by trying to know him and trying to figure him out. And sometimes along the way, he didn't get it right. But that's the way it is with other people. You know, sometimes you think you understand them and you discover you don't. That's part of our relationship. So, uh, I think that God liked him even though he believed and even though he doubted and, uh, and believed and doubted and believed and lied. It's Abraham and Sarah that he was current, what did that be friends with? So here's the last event. Abraham and Sarah received the promise, even though they were humans and they messed up a lot. In Genesis 21, 1, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. You need to know God never lies. He always keeps his word. He always does what he says. And God has a call on all of you. He has a purpose for every one of you and your humanity won't mess it up. If you'll just keep moving on with him and allowing him to help you to get stronger and stronger in the spirit. In Genesis 21, 5, 6. Now, Abraham. Oh, I said 99. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Do you know why she said that? Do you remember the conversation that they had? I didn't laugh. You did laugh. You know, remember that conversation? He gave her a reminder for the rest of her life that God keeps his word. There's nothing that God can't do. It goes even, you see, Isaac, by the way, I'm sorry, I didn't get to this part. Isaac means laughter. That's what it means. And it wasn't Sarah that picked out that name. It wasn't Abraham that picked out that name. It was God 25 years before who named Isaac. He said, you're going to have a son And you're to name him laughter. And get this. Sarah laughed when she doubted. And God took her weakness and he turned it into a strength. And uh, he's able to do for you also. He took her doubt And so from that point on, every time that she called to Isaac, every time she saw Isaac, every time she heard someone else laughing, every time she heard herself laugh, she remembered God can do anything. Even give an old woman a baby and the strength to raise it. God can do anything. And so here are my three points. We're just about done. Okay. Number, okay. Number one, God is fun because Isaac means laughter and because he had a lot of fun with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, think about the negotiating thing and all that. So anyway, number two, God is faithful. The promise was fulfilled. Number three, God is in control. When we look around ourselves today, when we look at the news, we may not believe it, but God is in control. He said at the set time, and exactly at the set time, laughter, Isaac was, Isaac was born. You know, if I do anything differently, looking back on my life, I think I'd probably relax and have a whole lot more fun because God is in control. I don't carry the weight of my, the whole world on my shoulders anymore. All I have to do is what he has, to, what he puts in front of me and be faithful to him. And then my life is meaningful. I'm not putting down Abraham and Sarah. They did believe. They also doubted and they lied several times. But what I'm saying is that God could still use them in a mighty way, even though they were human beings. And I'd like to say not even though, because they were human beings. And so even though you're human and you make mistakes and you still sin, God can still use you in a divine way. To touch someone else, he can still use you divinely to bless and minister to all those around you. Now, I'm saying all this because some of you are counting yourselves out because, uh, you really, you're counting yourself being used by God because of your weaknesses and your frailties and your humanity. But those weaknesses and frailties in you, in your humanity, those things glorify God whenever he can use you because everybody knows and somebody might be even surprised, say, you did that or that happened because, and God gets the glory and you're more willing to give him the glory when you recognize this. We're humans, we're going to make mistakes, but God does want to use us. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll take this message and cause it to get deeply into our hearts, that we believe and by grace through faith, you put righteousness in our accounts and you have a purpose and a destiny for each one of us in Jesus name. Amen.